Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Church Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people take their next step to move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridgechristian.com. We pray that your life is transformed through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. Merry Christmas. Uh, that may be the first time you've heard that this season, but I hope that you will hear it many more times. Here's something else that will happen many times. Choices. Christmas, in fact, may produce more choices than we really like. They can come fast and furious, can't they? There's calendar choices. You know, there's the work parties, or maybe you do something with your neighbors. There's certainly family stuff. I mean, do we get with the in-laws on Christmas Eve and the outlaws on Christmas Day, or is it vice versa? You know, there's, there's church functions that you go to. You can decide to go to either Christmas Eve Eve, which we sometimes call Christmas Adam, or Christmas Eve, um, whichever one you want to. And you're going to be able to get all those things in. There's going to be gift choices too, right? What do you get for so-and-so? What do I put on my list? What am I going to do with the socks that Aunt Mary gives me every single year? And there's function choices, right? Priorities that you've got to make in terms of, you know, how much are we going to spend for Christmas this year? And if you're a family, maybe you're wondering, you know what, is this the year that my kids could really get something out of serving outside of ourselves, maybe at a soup kitchen or some type of food pantry? Do I have time to sign up for live nativity? Yes. Yes, you do. Well, see, there's one choice that's off the table. <laughs> but there are lots and lots of choices. And at the first Christmas, there were choices too. So what we want to do for the next couple of weeks as we start this new series for Christmas is to look at the choices that the people at first, in the first Christmas made, because we believe they not only will impact, they not only impact first Christmas, but they will impact our lives as well. So would you join me as we ask God to bless our time together, not only today, but over the next couple of weeks as we look at choices. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to come and I just would ask that you would help us uh, open our hearts, open our minds, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, to be able to hear truth from you. And I would ask, Father, as these next couple of weeks, as we look at the people um, in the Christmas story, the different choices that they made, that we can learn from them and how to draw even closer to you. And this morning, Lord, I would pray that this would not be about fancy oratory or a slick presentation, but that your messenger would disappear and that your message would remain accurate and clear. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we want to start this morning with the story of the Magi that's found in Matthew, the second chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or your devices if you are able to use those. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'd be more than happy to give you one free of charge at our welcome counters. But let's turn to Matthew 2. But before we uh, get into that, so you'll have a few minutes to, to find it, um, I want us to clear up some misconceptions, I think, we have about the Magi, especially in some of our Christmas, Christmas traditions. In fact, has anybody ever here seen the Discovery Channel show Mythbusters? 
I enjoyed that show. I was sad that it concluded last March. Um, but um, it was a show that basically took popular myths or urban legends or internet rumors or different other beliefs, and they checked them out to see if they were actually fa uh, uh, factual. For example, there was one show where it talked about, can you really shoot off a lock, you know, like they do all the time in the television shows? Another one talked about, well, how far can you actually really shoot somebody from a cannon? Another one uh, took the, the movie Indiana Jones uh, and The Last Crusade, and it said, can you actually on the fly put sand in a bag and exchange it with, a, with an idol to be the exact weight? Just stuff like that, that they would say, basically, it can be confirmed, or it's possible, maybe partial, or it's busted. Well, I think we can play a little Mythbusters game with the Magi, too, because some of the uh, things about the Magi story are confirmed. Some of them are maybe plausible, but there are several that are busted. For example, were the Magi kings? After all, we, we sing, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts, we travel afar. Well, we could rule that one maybe even semi-plausible, and that, that might be a, a little generous because the only thing we really know from Scripture is in Matthew 2.1, it tells us that these men were called magi and that they came from the east. And the word magi actually is where we get our word magistrate. So they may have been more judges or so rather than kings. Um, but what their real occupation was, or where even East is, we're not exactly sure. Here's another one. Were there three? Um, basically, once again, we'd kind of answer, that's yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, the reason tradition says three is because there was three gifts. Like, nobody could ever carry more than one gift apiece, right? So um, that's, that's how they get that, but we really don't know how many there actually were. Here's another one. Did the Magi follow a moving star from where they were in the east all the way to Bethlehem where Jesus was? Well, that one's probably busted. Because Matthew 2, 2 tells us that they said to King Herod, we saw his star when it rose. Not we followed his star all the way from where we live. We saw his star when it rose. Now, there is the possibility, and I think it's a strong possibility, that the star did move from them, but only from Jerusalem, when they uh, came to Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that here in a second, to Bethlehem where Jesus was, because this is uh, what we continue to read. It says that the star they had seen when it rose, now and this is when they're in Jerusalem, went ahead of them until it stopped. Well, in order for it to stop, it's got to move, right? Over the place where the child was. So we really probably don't have any movement of the star like sometimes we, we think of, except from the city of Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which would have been about 9 to 11 miles. Here's one more. Did the Magi bow down and worship Jesus, baby Jesus, along with the shepherds and Mary and, and Joseph and bow before him in the manger? After all, and that's what we see in almost every nativity scene and even um, in the movies. Well, that one is definitely busted. The Magi never saw Jesus as a baby in the manger. How do we know? Matthew 2.11 says this, on coming where? To the house, not the stable, not the cave, not the manger. On coming to the house, they saw the child. And in fact, the word child here is a different word than it was used for the baby in the manger, because this one would mean more like a toddler. They saw the child with his mother, Mary. So 
Most scholars think that Jesus was probably two years old by this time, which is why Herod, as we'll see here in a second, had all the boys in Bethlehem killed that were two years old and younger. So there's a number of things about the traditions about the Magi that are maybes, and some are downright myths. But one thing is certainly not a myth, and that is that they came as seekers of Jesus who they believed to be the new king. Like in Matthew 2, 2, it tells us that they arrive in Jerusalem and they ask King Herod, where is the one who has been born that is called King of the Jews? Now, how would they even know to ask such a question in terms of King of the Jews? Well, most scholars think that the land that they were from was probably a land that had previously held Jewish people. And when you know the history of the Israelites, you know that they were put in exile. So these guys might have come from, say, Babylon, which we know that Daniel was in, or it might have come from a land with Persia, um, where the uh, uh, Israelites were exiled after um, they disobeyed God. But that's the only way that we can kind of figure that they have this kind of information at all, to put this historical and scriptural information with the rise, risen star. That's how they may, was able at least to get to Jerusalem. But their information was only partial. Otherwise, they would have known what the chief priests knew, and that is that the king, that the Messiah, was not born in Jerusalem, was actually born in Bethlehem. But it is with absolute certainty that we can say that these magi came and they chose to seek out Jesus because they felt he was someone very special and important. That's noted by the expensive gifts that they bring to honor him. And I really believe, when you look at this part of the Christmas story, that you can see that their seeking brought four things that will be common for every spiritual seeker, whether you're seeking this whole God thing you're not sure, or whether you've actually found Jesus and you're a believer, because these choices that they make can apply to each and every one of us as we choose to seek and find Jesus. Here's the first one. First of all, they would have to choose to seek out Jesus, even though they knew their search would bring hardships. <clears throat> Now, at some point, the Magi had to realize that they had to go to Israel, and once again, I think this is probably from their study, to be able to find a new king. Now, no matter how far east they lived, in that particular day and time, anytime you traveled east to Israel, it was a difficult journey. You always had to go through desert, and many scholars feel like it was probably a very, very dangerous trip because there was only so many thoroughfares through the desert, and as would happen at any time, whenever there's thoroughfares and people who may have stuff or traveling them all the time, you'll have bandits and robbers, and that's exactly what plagued many of the roads from east to west. Um, and so any commoners or merchants always traveled in large caravans. In fact, if you remember the story of Joseph, you remember his brothers sold him into slavery because they saw a caravan coming from the east to Egypt. So this happened all the time. But here's the interesting thing about the Magi. The Magi were neither commoners or merchants. They were very prominent men. So it would go to add, you know, they probably were in a very large uh, caravan in order to protect themselves. In fact, the historian Chuck Missler speculates that at a minimum, they would have brought with them a military escort along with their servants and the total party, Missler said, is, could have amounted to more than 300 people. Now, that certainly would have explained the stir that they caused as they rode into Jerusalem. 
to have 300 people of obvious importance. Now, how do we know they were important? Well, first of all, they got an audience with the king <laughs> with apparently very little trouble, and it caught the attention of the whole city. We'll see in just a moment that King Herod was disturbed, but it also says the whole city of Jerusalem was disturbed with them because of this, I think, this large contingent of people. But here's the thing. They really believed that they were going to find something at the end of their journey, for they chose to seek, even though they knew they would probably go through these hardships. And here's a truth for taking. What you're willing to do says a lot about what you really believe. What you're willing to do says a lot about what you really believe. Just six months ago, the Pew Research Center did a survey, and their survey results said that 90% of Americans believe in God. Now, I'll just ask you to think that one out a little bit for yourself, but do you really think that nine out of every 10 Americans are living and acting like they believe in God? <laughs> To be real honest with you and transparent, I, I have a hard time seeing our culture and the way it's living to think in those kind of numbers because what Scripture points out is the Bible says that if you really believe, you will act like you really believe. You see, simple intellectual assent, you know, yeah, I think there's a God out there, that's not enough as far as the Bible is concerned. In fact, just listen to James the brother of Jesus, when he wrote this in James 2.19. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. <laughs> they at least do something, even if it's involuntary. And he goes on to talk about, you're going to be seen by what you believe, by what you actually do. And these men, the Magi, were willing to endure hardship because they believed, without a doubt, the Messiah, the King, had been born. So let me just put it to you. If you say that you are a believer, do your actions match your belief? Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm just saying, what areas, when I look at my life, do I say, you know what? I've got to make these a little more consistent with what I say I believe. And I would even ask those of you who may be here that are just kind of wondering about this whole God thing. Do you really want to know? Well, if you really want to know and, and you really believe there, there may be an answer and it's important, then do something about it. Put yourself on the line to discover whether it's true or not. And I'm going to tell you, it, it may be somewhat of an uncomfortable search for you. You may have to say no to some of your selfish desires. You may have to read some and study some and ask some tough questions. But listen, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, a search and a willingness to find Jesus Christ can be tough. It may mean choosing faith over family, spiritual disciplines over sports, ridicule over this new relationship with him. And let me be honest, because sometimes I think we preachers make this seem like it's all so easy. And it is easy to give yourself to Christ, but to live for him, whether you're trying to live for him or whether you're searching for him, please know it probably won't be easy. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. But you know what? I don't know anything that's really worthwhile that doesn't take some effort, that doesn't take some struggle. But the truth is still here. What you're willing to do says a lot about what you really believe. 
Here's the second thing we know for sure. These men did not have all the answers. That means they had to swallow their pride somewhat and understand that they had to search and that their search would bring more questions. That's why they show up in Jerusalem and they simply ask, where is the one who has been born that is called King of the Jews? Now, I want you to look at this closely again. In fact, this might be a good phrase to circle in your Bible if you do that. It says, where is the one who has been born? They believed with all of their hearts that the Messiah had come. There's a certain air of confidence. It says, we're looking for the one who has been born. Their study and their seeking had convinced them that the king, the Messiah, was already there. And so when they show up in Jerusalem, and this is just my personal opinion, but when they show up, I think they expected to find a party because they expected the Israelites to know that their Messiah, their king, had been born. <laughs> Why weren't the Israelites rejoicing? Why wasn't all Jerusalem throwing a party? After all, the promised Messiah, Messiah had finally arrived. But not only are they not throwing a party, <laughs> when these guys ask about it, they cause kind of like a panic. <laughs> and, and King Herod is the shocked, most shocked of anybody. What, Imagine, I didn't realize, realize at that point is he's not just shocked, he's upset because he doesn't want anybody to be a challenger to his throne. But even the priests that the Magi talked to were unaware that Jesus had been born. It's like Mike talked about at communion. They missed it. Now, they did know the prophecy as to where he was born, but it's the Magi, these foreigners, that know he's been born. And so the Magi arrive expecting a party. They ask, where's the king of the Jew? Jews, they get panic. And here's what we read, starting in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, that they were looking for him and the king had been born, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Mike talked about that prophecy from Micah. You see, Herod didn't know that Jesus was born. The chief priests, the religious leaders of the day, didn't know that Jesus was born. But the Magi knew, and they were willing, and this is important, they were willing to ask anyone and everyone where they could find him. Here's another truth for taking. To find the answers that you seek, go to the most trusted sources you can find. To find the answers that you seek, go to the most trusted sources you can find. The Magi didn't have all of the answers. In fact, some say they were the only traveling band of men who ever stopped and asked for directions. It's probably a woman that said that, but nevertheless, while they don't have all the answers, they are willing to go to the best place and try to talk to the best people to actually find them. Now, this is important because in your search for faith, you've got to do the same thing. You have got to be willing to take the time and put your trust in sources that will give you the truth. And when it comes to faith, here's what I would suggest. And I think this applies to everybody, whether you're seeking God or whether you're trying to grow closer to God, these same two sources are going to be important for you. Here, here's the first one. It's the Bible. 
I agree with the scholars who think it would have been absolutely impossible for the Magi not to have had some Old Testament writings with them to help them along with the appearance of the star in order to discover the when and where of Jesus' birth. And because they were willing to investigate, they end up finding priests who actually tell them the particular where Jesus was being born from the Scripture. (laughs) So the first source is to go to the Bible. Why the Bible? It's the only book that has ever been written over 1,500 years on three different continents by 40 different authors and still have the unity of one redemption story in it. No other book has that. It is a trusted source that you can go to to find out about Jesus. Now, sometimes people say, well, okay, I'm not familiar with the Bible enough, so where should I start? I would suggest you start, for example, with the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament. It simply tells you about the life of Jesus. Or go to Jesus' brother, James. He wrote a book called James. It tells you about the practical aspects of living as a follower of Christ. But first, go to the Bible. Here's the second source. Find someone you know who has integrity and you know has a solid faith and talk to them. Ask them, how did you become a believer? How are you growing in your relationship with Christ? How are you keeping a strong faith? Ask your questions. Don't be afraid of that. In fact, it's essential. In fact, I had somebody come to me not very long ago who was really ready to step away from their faith. The reason? Well, they had someone who they had looked up to as a model of faith who actually became unfaithful. They were devastated, rightly so, but they were ready to turn away from God due to this person. But here's what they did that I absolutely applauded them for. They came asking. They didn't just dump their faith. But as we talked, I I just made this one inquiry. I just asked them, listen, is there anyone here on this earth who can actually be a perfect example for you for faith? And does the Bible say there should be a person to model your faith for you? And the person just basically said, okay, I get it. (laughs) This person has hurt me, but Jesus Christ has never let me down. But the thing that was so important, and I'm not making light of the hurt because the hurt was real. The thing that was so important, the reason I patted them on the back, at least perspectively, was because they were willing to come and ask the tough questions. And one simple question back gave them a brand new perspective. Ask your questions. If you're serious about finding Jesus, if you're serious about growing in Jesus, if you're serious, then ask your questions. But I want to give you a little warning too. Not every question that you ask is going to be answered. See, there's this thing that God asks of us, and and he asks of us especially when we don't understand, and especially when there are no concrete answers. It's called faith. In fact, that's why Hebrews 11.1 reads this way. It says, faith is the evidence of things not seen or hoped for. In other words, you got to understand that you must know you don't know, you know? That there's some things I am just not going to get answers to. Not everything is going to be wrapped up in this nice, neat little package with a pretty little bow on it, but it will go a long way, especially when you're taking hits to your faith or when you're wondering about your faith. If you will use the same sources the Magi did, dive into Scripture 
and talk to people who you can trust and who have been tested and have a strong faith. Here's the third thing that their search brought them, joy. In fact, Matthew 10, starting with verse 11, we read this. When they, the Magi, saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I don't know if that means that the star disappeared for a little while while they were in Jerusalem, but when they saw it, again, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their search had been difficult. Their search had brought questions, but now once again, they see the star, they see it stop over the house, and they experience joy. Why? Because they had found what, or in this case, who they were looking for. And what did their joy motivate them to do? To bow down, to worship this little toddler, but they knew him to be Jesus. And here's the third truth for taking. What captures your heart gets your very best. What captures your heart will get your very best. Jesus was offered gifts that were fit for a king. It was the very best I think these men could offer. But you know what? When God asks for your heart, he's not asking that you bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What he's asking, actually, when he asks for your best is for your heart. And it takes the right kind of heart to give God your best. That means you give him the best of your life, the best of your time that you can offer, the best money that you can give, the best relationships that you can build to his name, and the best hospitality that you can extend. I know, it's a tall order, but it's something to strive for because you want to give your very best to the one who has given everything for you. And I think that applies to those of you who are seeking for God, too. Do as the Magi did. (laughs) They knew they would probably experience hardships and questions in the search, but they also knew that when their search came to an end, if they found him, it would be worth everything they had gone through. So search with all your heart. In fact, this is what God says about doing that in Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? all your heart. Yeah, the journey to Bethlehem took time. It took money. I think it was a huge cost for these men to come, but they were filled with joy when the star rested over the house where Jesus lived. Why? Because they had fulfilled their search. Their faith was complete. And this is still true. God still offers joy to those who will find him. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 8. He said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, and pure here doesn't mean perfect. It simply means has great and and right motivation. Whose hearts are pure, for they will what? They will see God. And I can tell you personally, and dozens in this room will back me up, when you search and find Jesus, there is lasting joy instead of despair. There's a deep peace instead of anxiousness. There's a great purpose instead of aimlessness. There is an eternal hope instead of fear. And all that is yours if you'll search and seek him with all your heart because you'll find him. That's exactly what happened with the Magi. Now, one more thing about the Magi's choice to search for Jesus, and that is their search brought change. Now, Upon completing their visit in Bethlehem, I think it was probably 
the intent of these men of integrity to go back to King Herod and tell them exactly where they had found Jesus. After all, Herod had told them in verse 8 of chapter 2, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, from our perspective in history, we know that Herod was lying because after the wise men did not fulfill his request, Herod perpetrates one of the most cold-blooded, horrifying infocides in all of history. We read this in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, we don't know how many two-year-old and under boys were killed. It must have been horrifying, no matter how many that was. But God did two things. First of all, he protected Jesus by sending an angel to, in a dream to Joseph, telling him to take Jesus and Mary and get out of Bethlehem. And they went to Egypt because Herod was hunting down his son to kill him. But God also protected the Magi. He told them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Verse 12 says this, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I'm not sure how that affected them in terms of travel, but I know it changed their plans. In fact, as we read just a moment ago, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted, it caused him to go into a homicidal rage. And so these magi were delivered by God himself. And so here's our last truth for taking. If you give Jesus all your heart, he will change you for the better. The change the Magi went through was more than just a destination detour. They had been changed in so many ways. They had seen their searching rewarded. They had bowed down and worshiped the new king. They were able to spend time with the Messiah and his parents, something that hardly anybody else were able to do during this tumultuous time in Jesus' life. And then they knew that God himself had provided them safe passage home. All changes for the better. Please understand this critical truth. And if you get nothing else out of this message, I hope you get this. The change that Jesus wants to bring in your life is for the better too. He wants to change your life for the good. There are so many people that I run into that are afraid to give their life to Christ or they're afraid of Christianity because they, they just see Christianity simply as a bunch of can'ts and bunch of don'ts. You hear things like, well, yeah, if I become a follower of Christ, I won't be able to party anymore, you know? I'm not, there's not going to be any laughter in my life anymore. I'll never be able to hold another cold bud in my life. If I become a Christian, I'll have to do boring things like go to church every Sunday and go to Bible studies. They'll probably send me as a missionary to Iraq or Afghanistan, or I'll have to watch the 700 Club for, you know, on TV for 20 hours a day. I'll be miserable. <laughs> Please hear this. On behalf of the Magi... And on behalf of millions of others who have met Jesus, that's not true. Jesus is not wanting to come into your life to make it miserable. The change that Jesus brings is a positive change. I'm sure that the Magi might have been somewhat inconvenienced by the detour that they took, but look what they gained. They went home with a renewed faith, an incredible experience of joy to tell others 
and something that could never be taken from them. They had been with Jesus. Listen, Jesus does not come into your life to make it miserable. He comes into your life to make it mature, to make it complete. That's so important to understand because you'll find, if you search and find Jesus, exactly what the Magi found, satisfaction, purpose, peace, joy, and you'll find eternity. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said he would bring. In John 10.10, Jesus said this, I came. The reason I came was so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. Jesus wants to come into your life to change it for the better. So, the Magi search is over, but is yours? Some of you can identify with the Magi because you're seeking. Some of you can identify with the Magi because while you've discovered Jesus, you want to know him in a better, deeper relationship. And that's why I think no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you come to a point this morning of having a choice. You can seek him or you can ignore him. You can give your life to knowing him better or you can just continue to give him parts of it and hope that's enough. Here's what we're praying. We're praying that you will be like the Magi. And if so, remember that what you're willing to do says a lot about what you really believe. To find the answers that you seek, make sure you go to the most trusted source you can find, the Bible and those who know it. And in your seeking and in your growing, remember that what has captured your heart will get the very best of you. That's how you can kind of see where you are with him. But understand, he promises not only to capture your heart, but renew it with a deep abiding joy for all of eternity. And then when you have this joy, understand that he'll change you. For the better, because giving your heart to Jesus will do just that. Because just like the Magi, when you find Jesus, you will be overjoyed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us these particulars about these guys. We, we don't know everything about them, but we know the most important thing, and that is they sought you. And more importantly, they found you. And when they did, it changed everything. God, that, that is, that's what we're praying so hard for those within the sound of my voice. I lift up, Lord, the one who may be here who's kind of seeking and, and not sure about this whole God thing, that, that they would understand that you came to bring them love, came to bring them mercy, came to bring them grace. And, and for those, Lord, that, that, that may believe in you, but, but no, they haven't really been acting what they believe, I would ask that they would come to this moment of choice and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to put more effort into what this is that's so important, my relationship with Jesus. And for all of us, Lord, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, help us to learn from the Magi these four lessons, but especially that you want to come into our life and change it for the better. If we thank you for that, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a song. And if you're somebody that has been seeking, I pray that you'll have the courage, maybe even as we stand and sing, to come down and we'll talk with you, ask your questions. 
Maybe you're a believer, but you go, you know what? There are so many parts of my life that I'm not acting like what I say I really believe. If that means a time of repentance for you, where you come and say, I'm gonna, I wanna turn from that, I wanna give my life back to Christ, we'll certainly pray with you over that. Maybe you have other needs. But in the next few moments, let's remember his love. Let's remember his mercy. And let's say, Jesus, I need you. Would you stand? Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this message. If you'd like to find out more about Northridge, visit our website at northridgechristian.com. If you'd like to stay connected throughout the week, download our ChurchLink app today for your iOS or Android device.